All right, welcome back, everybody. Um, we're going to continue this morning in our sermon series through the book of Galatians. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to the New Testament letter of Galatians. Now, if you're new to the Bible, there is a paper Bible um, maybe in a seat underneath a seat in front of you. It's on page 566. Uh, others, uh, you, if you use an app, um, you, surely you can find it there. Um, if you have a paper Bible and you're not sure where it is, and it's not one of those pew Bibles, uh, typically when you open the, the Bible to the middle, it ends up around Psalms. And, and if you go right um, all the way, almost three quarters of the way through, you'll come to the New Testament and um, Galatians is found after 2 Corinthians and before Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I'm probably just making things worse, really, at this point. Uh, but hopefully I've given you enough time to find it. I always hated it when I was a new Christian, new to the Bible, new to church, and I had no idea what I was doing, and it seemed like halfway through the Bible study, I would finally find the section that he was talking about, and, uh, and then I would look down and I would miss the whole thing just because I, I was scrambling around. So you be a good, uh, a good neighbor, and, and if you see somebody struggling, you just point it out to them so they know where we are. We're looking at Galatians chapter 2. And we're only focusing on verses 15 through 21 today. We're going to finish chapter 2. And this is our routine. And this is our habit is that, uh, that every week when we come together, uh, there is a focal passage. And, and it's my goal that you walk away with a base understanding and knowledge of the passage that we're focusing on. Uh, so that uh, if, if, if a friend or a neighbor or a co-worker asks uh, what you're learning about, you can say, uh, you can summarize a passage of Scripture for them with the understanding that Isaiah says that the, that the Word of God doesn't go out void. It, it accomplishes the purpose for which God sent it. And so if you're hearing the Word of God, uh, there's a blessing on that. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed are those who read and blessed are those who hear the words of that testimony uh, applying to Revelation, but generally to Scripture as well, that there is just a blessing on hearing the Word of God. And so that's why we're here this morning. Let me pray and we'll read Galatians 2, 15 through 21. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you that we approach your word in humility, uh, understanding the power of the word of God. When we read in Genesis chapter 1, we see that uh, everything was created from nothing and it was created with the word that you spoke things into existence. And so we understand that your word is powerful and that you use your word to accomplish your purpose. There's not a one of us who can create something out of nothing, much less with just our words. So we know that a word from you this morning could change our hearts. We know that a word from you could change our minds about something. We know that you speak through your word and through broken vessels like myself and others that you use to declare and teach your word. So we, we thank you for that and pray that you would use your word to meet us where we are today. Whether we uh, are walking with you and, uh, and trusting in you, whether we have not yet come to faith in you, 
Um, We pray that you would meet us where we are and that you would take your word and teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Galatians chapter 2. Let's uh, start in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose." Well, this is Paul speaking, and in Philippians uh, 3, you can hear Paul's resume. It's a different uh, section of Scripture that we're not um, um, taking, uh, talking about today. But, but in that chapter, he talks about how he was zealous for the law. He was a passionate Pharisee. He was zealous for the law of Moses, and he was outside of Christ, persecuting the church. And so Paul says that, um, that if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself a sinner, Uh, meaning Paul was seeking to be justified and right with God by obeying the law perfectly with a lot of zeal and a lot of passion. He was doing everything he could to make God happy. And what he found was that God was not pleased with him because he worked the works of the law. It's a very common struggle in our day is the idea that you can be right with God if you work hard enough or if you're moral enough or if you do the right things. Entire worldviews are built on this idea that if I don't eat a certain kind of food, or if I go on a pilgrimage, or if I pray seven times a day, or if I sacrifice to the right gods in the right way, that I can be close to God. I can have a relationship with God. And this is teaching us that we are not made right with God through anything that we do. Just saying that uh, would offend a lot of people, so allow me to, to, um, to unpack this a little bit. Just so we know where we are in context, Paul is saying that salvation is by faith without works. And he's saying this to the churches in Galatia because a group of people called the Judaizers had gone out and everywhere that Paul had preached in the region of Galatia, Iconium and Derbe and uh, Pisidia, Antioch and uh, Cilicia, everywhere that he had established a church, this group of Jewish people who were passionate about the law of Moses were going around behind him saying, it's good that you love Jesus, it's good to love Jesus, and Jesus is great, but if you want to be right with God, you have to believe in Jesus, and you also have to be uh, circumcised, and you have to follow the Old Testament dietary laws, and you you basically have to do um, Jesus plus the law. 
And so Paul is going back and correcting them, saying, it's not Jesus plus the law. You're made right with God by faith in Christ alone, and there's nothing you can do to improve on that. Paul condemns the Judaizers, and he condemns their message. He tells them in no um, few words in Galatians 1 that a polluted gospel is not the gospel. Gospel means good news, and Paul is saying, it's not good news if it's Jesus plus whatever you want to add to it. It's not good news at all. It's bad news. You're, you're ruining the gospel. Jesus didn't die so that you could earn your way to God through, through works. In Galatians 1, you are pleasing and accepted by God based solely on what you do with Jesus. Based on what you do with Jesus. When you die and you stand before God, what you do with Jesus or what you did with Jesus and his message, that's going to matter most in that moment. And you would say, well, I was a good person. I stood, you stand before God and say, I I did good things. I helped people. I gave my money. I was kind. Uh, Those kind of things. And, 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 And while that's decent here, it will earn you no favor with God if you rejected his son, Jesus Christ. If you reject Jesus, God's one and only son, as scripture presents him, that is what you will be judged on. So he's arguing and trying to convince the Galatian churches not to add anything to the gospel. It's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. In chapter 2, we talked about how Paul uh, is defending how he heard about the gospel. And in this chapter, there is a picture of legalism, which is right behavior with the wrong beliefs. Have you ever met a legalistic person? Yeah, I've been around legalistic people. They're a breath of fresh air, right? (laughs) Just joy. Um, We talked about in Sunday school this morning that uh, some people use the Bible as a weapon to injure people and to hurt someone and to um, really condemn them in in a legalistic way. It's often promoting moralism or right behavior without any sort of faith behind it. We saw a second picture, not of legalism, but of hypocrisy in verses 11 through 14 last week. Paul opposed Peter to his face because he believed right, but he was behaving wrongly. That's, that's hypocrisy. If legalism is right behavior with wrong beliefs, hypocrisy is right beliefs with wrong behavior. And you've met hypocrites, right? Um, It's likely that you're a hypocrite. It's likely that I'm a hypocrite, right? (laughs) Very likely. Um, Because all of us fall short and we hold up an ideal and we try to live to that and we we fall short of that. And hypocrisy must be challenged and confronted. That's what Paul did to Peter. And that's what we talked about last week as confrontation. But now we see the picture completed. Now we see in verses 15 through 21, not a picture of legalism, Not a picture of hypocrisy, but a picture of faith. Faith, living by faith, 
being crucified with Christ and living by faith in Jesus is right belief and right behavior for the right reasons. So let's get back into the text and understand the life of faith. In verse 15, Paul says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. I don't know that Paul would fit in to our culture today using offensive racist language like this, right? He's saying uh, you're a Gentile sinner and you're not a Jew by birth. Uh, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Um, This seems somewhat offensive, right? What is a Gentile and why are Gentiles called sinners? What does he mean by Gentile sinners? Is this another category of Gentiles? Um, What is a Gentile? You and I, are Gentiles. Do we have any ethnic Jews in the room? Any Israelites? Any Hebrews? Anybody at all? All right, we have one. Randy wins the uh, Randy wins the prize. You are not a Gentile sinner. You're a Jewish sinner, right? <laughs> uh, I don't mean that to be offensive, but but Gentile sinners. Paul is saying they're not that the that these are Gentile sinners. Gentile is the Latin rendering of the Hebrew word goyim or the Greek word ethne, and it just means nations. It just means nations or people. It just means everybody who's not a Jew. The rest of the world, God had chosen in the Old Covenant, Jewish, Israelite, the Israelite nation, to display His glory within them. And that by doing so, other people would go to Israel to learn about God and to, uh, to hear about his, um, his glory and to hear about the way He orders the world. Uh, and so after Jesus' um, death and resurrection, uh, now the, the, the gospel and the, uh, God's choosing of people would not just be limited to the people group of Israel, but now it would be open to the world to Gentile sinners like us, the nations. Um, From a Jewish perspective, Gentiles were often seen as pagans. It was kind of a derogatory word. I don't know that Paul is not speaking a little bit tongue-in-cheek here. We're Jews, not Gentile sinners. But that reflected a common attitude amongst Jewish people was that the rest of the world were like filthy dogs. Um, the Jews would take pride in their culture and their religious heritage, and they considered Gentiles unclean, often calling them dogs or the uncircumcision. They viewed Gentiles and half-Gentile Samaritans uh, as you would view an enemy to be avoided or shunned. That's the, that's the idea. But in Christ, God is doing this amazing thing where He's blending Jews and Gentiles. For more information, you can read Acts chapter 11, where Peter is uh, on Simon the Tanner's roof. And, uh, and, and you remember the story when he has this vision of a sheet being let down from heaven. And uh, inside the sheet are all kinds of animals. And, uh, and the vision, in the vision, God tells Peter, rise up, kill, and eat. And Peter says, never, I would never eat the stuff in that sheet um, because I'm, I'm, I would never eat anything unclean. And God says, don't call anything unclean that I have called clean. And then that happened three times. And then uh, people come from Cornelius and, and Peter goes, with, um, goes to Cornelius' house 
And Cornelius is a, a Roman soldier, and, and he's filled in the house with a Roman. It's, it's worth reading. It says in Acts 11 that um, he says right when he walks into the door, you know that as a Jew, I'm not supposed to be here. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sorry, in, in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter opened his mouth. It says, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Um, he says um, in verse 24, on the following day, they entered Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his close relatives and his friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter said, stand up. I'm just a guy. I'm just, I'm too, I'm just a man. And as he talked with him, uh, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so he shares the gospel with them. And in the same way that the Holy Spirit came on the apostles in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. In that same way, the Holy Spirit falls on Cornelius and everyone gathered when they hear the gospel and respond to it. So Paul has had this experience that God doesn't just love ethnic Jews and Israelite, but he loves and is blending together in, in the church uh, the rest of the world. And that's a beautiful thing. So, in the process of this, verse 16, Paul is reminding the Galatian church that a person is justified not by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. He says in verse 16, yet we know. It's a statement of confidence and conviction. Paul is certain that he is not made right with God because he is a Jewish person. That he's not made right with God because he obeyed the law. He says, I know, we know, that we are made right with God through faith in Christ Jesus. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Not justified by works. Salvation is by grace through faith alone without anything of yourself contributing to that work. What do I mean by that? You will never be more worthy to come to faith in Jesus for salvation than you are right now if you're not yet in Christ. There's nothing you can do to clean yourself up. I used to get irritated that we would wash the dishes before we put them in the dishwasher. Do you have to do that? You spend all this time in the sink and you clean off all the dishes, but it never works like the commercial, right? You, you don't put a, a dish in the dishwasher as dirty as it is, and it, it just doesn't work the way it says advertised. So you clean it up before you put it in the dishwasher. It doesn't work that way in Christianity, though. You don't have to, there's not a better version of yourself that needs to be revealed before God accepts you. He's not waiting for you to get your act together before you come to him. You, 
You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to faith in Jesus. You don't have to have all your questions answered. He often reveals just enough about himself to you and about your condition of separation, just enough so that you can trust in him. Some people say, I have to quit. I have some bad habits before I give my life to Christ. Or some people grow up like I did with a Catholic worldview that salvation is by grace through faith plus a handful of rules, baptism as an infant, going through communion, going to confession, going through confirmation, saying Hail Marys around a rosary, going through last rites. All of those things would be taught that if you die and your scale is tilted heavier on your goodness and your works, then God will accept you. And if your scale is tilted on the other side, that your bad deeds are heavier than your good deeds, then you spend 10,000 years in purgatory hoping that your ancestors pray for you and that the grace of God is added to your account, evening out that scale. And it's not just Catholicism that would tend to teach something like that. Uh, Other religions are based on what you do to be right before God. A pilgrimage to Mecca, a call to daily prayer, uh, praying through prayer beads, sacrifices, being enlightened, having your chakras all lined up, right? The Reiki stuff where all the bad energy is removed. There are all kinds of things that people think they have to do to be right with God. Listen, none of that is necessary to come to God. And much of it is counterproductive, leading, even destructive, leading you to believe that I am doing something to earn favor with God. But he's saying that to be right with God comes only through justification by faith in Christ alone. What is justification? What does it mean to be justified? He's using it four times in verses 16 through 17. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Four times. So what is justification? What does it mean to be justified? To justify is to declare righteous. To declare righteous. Justification is an act of God whereby He pronounces a sinner a guilty person, to be righteous based on that sinner's faith in Christ Jesus alone. According to one theologian, the root idea in justification is that God, the righteous judge, declares that a person who believes in Jesus, even though he's sinful, is declared righteous because in Christ he has come into a relationship with God. Maybe an example would help. A few weeks ago, uh, Julie and I watched um, one of those kind of Dateline type specials where um, a, a, a woman was found dead and her boyfriend 
um, was the only one there. And so the policeman took this guy, and after hours and hours of him sitting in a police car, uh, at five in the morning, they found the, you know, they came to the house in the evening, and, and he stayed in the police car all night, and then they brought him into, well, they processed the scene, and then they brought him into the interrogation room, and they're interrogating this guy for over an hour from a viewpoint that he's guilty. Uh, and his story didn't make any sense. It was confusing. It was, uh, his facts didn't line up. Everything that he was saying just did not make sense. And from our perspective, as Julie and I were watching, and she's a pro at these. She, she knows the end. So she's guessing what's happened all the way at the end. She's really good at these. Uh, I could never get away with anything. <laughs> not that I would try, all right? I just got to say that just for your peace of mind. Um, but she's really good at these, and so she, she knew the end. She knew that this guy was innocent and that the story that he told was, was actually right, that they had, I mean, this is, I don't want to be R-rated. I mean, it's a mixed group of kids, not a very family-friendly example here, but, but that this guy was innocent, that he was actually wounded in this home invasion thing, and he had a serious brain injury. And that's why his words were confusing, and that's why everything was wrong. So, so what does this mean? Through the course of the interrogation, you watched this guy go from being interrogated as a guilty person, and you believed he was guilty. But through the course of it, you realized not only is he innocent, not only is he not guilty, he's a victim and he's innocent. And so in my mind, I watched him move from guilty to justified. You understand how that works? In the end, it, there, two other people, a former roommate was convicted of the crime and this guy was justified. He was no longer declared guilty. He was declared innocent and actually wasn't a, a victim. Listen, this is the greatest news, and this is why the gospel is good news, is this word justification. If you want to understand, we want to understand justification more, Romans chapter 3, turn over to Romans chapter 3 and verses 21 through 26. We want to understand justification. If justification is being declared right before God, when we were guilty of sin, deserving death, and now we've been justified, what does that mean? Romans chapter 3, verse 21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or made known apart from the law, even though the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law could not make us right with God. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So then what becomes of our boasting? 
It's excluded. By what kind of law? By works? No, but by the law of faith. Romans 3.28, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. That's it. We are made right with God. We are justified. Made right with God, not because of anything that you contribute to salvation. Now this is good news for those of you who have tried everything you can to be right with God. You've tried your hardest to pray. You've tried your hardest to volunteer. You've tried your hardest to give. You've tried your hardest to to show up even when you didn't want to, right? Even when you had other plans and you canceled those plans and you're sacrificing and you're you're thinking, God's going to be happier with me if I go to church or if I do this list of things and I just can't ever seem to make him happy. Listen, this is good news. You don't have to do anything to make God happy, to make him right with you. He is pleased with you because of what Jesus accomplished. Justification is made possible in the sacrificial death of Christ. There are three things I want to talk to you about justification before we move on to the next point. Justification does a few things. Number one, justification removes the penalty of sin. The penalty of sin, which was death. The penalty of sin was death. And justification, when God declares you righteous, it removes that punishment. One of my favorite movies is Shawshank Redemption. Have you ever seen that movie? Just raise your hand if you've seen that movie. Isn't that a great movie? I walked into that, me and eight or nine college buddies back in the 90s, just threw a dart basically at a board and said, let's just go see this one. And no idea what we were walking into. Hadn't seen a, you know, back in those days, you had to like call a phone number and press a button to find out what was playing at the movie theater, right? There was like a long recording and I don't even bore you with all that, but we just stumbled into this theater and we watched this movie. And by the end of it, we were like completely in awe. But the idea behind the movie is that an innocent man is wrongly accused and convicted and sent to life in prison for the crime that he didn't commit. And in the end, all the information is given to where he is is set free. And he breaks out of prison, but he's set free and he's living like his best life on some Mexico beach, uh, you know, at the end of the movie. But but the idea is that the, the penalty that we deserve for sin is death. We deserve what Jesus took on the cross because of our guilt. And so when God justified you, he, like Andy Dufresne, (laughs) set you free from the penalty of, of, of death. Now you're free. Now you're free. A second benefit of justification is the restoration of God's favor on your life, which had been lost due to your sin and my sin. Justification is more than just saying you're acquitted. Now go and live your life with an angry judge who wants nothing to do with you. Justification is as if the judge said, not only are you innocent, but I want you to come over to my house for lunch today. I want you to come and be a part of my, I want you to live in my house and I want to give you a role in my family 
Justification doesn't just declare you innocent. Justification doesn't just remove the death penalty. Justification brings you into the judge's house as an adopted son or daughter. It is the favor of God. It is full acceptance. It is um, being friends with God where you were formerly an enemy of God and now you're a co-heir with Christ. Scripture tells us that outside of Christ, we are enemies of God, by nature, objects of wrath. He is longing to demonstrate wrath on our sin and on us as sinners. But once we're in Christ, that changes and we're not only declared innocent, but now we're accepted into His family. He gives us His own Spirit by which we are calling Him Abba, Father. We get accepted and loved and promised eternal life and an inheritance and even a position of responsibility in his coming kingdom. The third benefit of justification is the imputation of righteousness. The imputation, which is the transferring of righteousness. It's the great exchange is what it's called. Here's the exchange. I'm a sinner, a, 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 a proven sinner, not theoretically, like not, but like an, a real life sinner, breaking God's laws in my natural self. And along comes Jesus Christ, and he says, I will take your sin on myself and your punishment on myself. And in exchange for that, when you trust in me, I will give you my righteousness. So that when God looks at you, he no longer sees your sin, but in Christ, as far as the east is from the west, is as far as he has removed your sin from you. In Christ, every day you experience a new mercy from God that your sins are cast as far from you as the east is from the west and as, as deep as the ocean, your sins are removed from you. Those are all the benefits of justification. The penalty is removed, you're adopted into his family, and, and now you're declared not just theoretically righteous, but he, when he looks at you, he sees you as righteous in Christ. That's good news. And you get that by faith alone. You get that by faith alone, by believing. I'm skipping way too many notes, but if you want more on that, uh, I, can, I can certainly give you what I have here later. But let me, let me sum it up with this idea. The Heidelberg Catechism in question 60 asks, how are you righteous before God? And this is the answer. Only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all of God's commandments and have never kept any of them, and I'm still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, gives to me or imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. He grants these to me as if I had never, as if I had nor committed any sin and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience that Christ had rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. Isn't that amazing? You are given 
all of these gifts by believing in Jesus alone. Genesis chapter 15. In this reference, you have Abraham. And Abraham has been promised a lot. A lot. God would say to Abram, hey, look up at the stars. And if you can count all the stars, that's, that's how many will your descendants be. All, all, as many as the stars in heaven, all those will be yours. But, but Abraham is getting old and his wife is getting old, right? So old that the time of childbirth is really, you know, she's in her 90s when she gives birth to Isaac. Jacob, I mean, Abraham is uh, almost 100. And so... Even in his old age, God is promising this. So Abram says, Lord, what are you going to give me since I continue to be childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member, an extended person in my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and he said, look toward the heavens and number the stars. If you can count them, uh, then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And what did Abram do? Verse six, he believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. See the transfer? This was before Moses. This was before the law. This was before all the covenants and all the, the covenant uh, requirements and the sacrificial system. Before any of that, Abram heard from God and he believed him and a transaction happened. He credited it to Abram's account as righteousness. Abram believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verses 19 through 21 is the right response. Listen to how Paul says the Galatians should respond to that gift. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. That's the response. So that he might live to God. Verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So Paul's right response to the gift of justification by faith is that he would now live to God. That he would live to God and that he would declare, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live I now live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's the right response of a Christ follower. That's the right response of a person who has been given the gift of justification. What do you do? How do you live? You live a certain way, not to please God, because you're already pleasing and acceptable to him because of justification. Now you live to him because you've been justified, right? And those who have been truly justified can't get enough of living for God. The cry is, fill me and use me and lead me and direct me and, and 
speak through me and let others see you in me and, and, and acceptance of suffering and acceptance of difficult circumstances also that God might live through you. But none of this is good news if you don't see yourself in need of forgiveness. This morning, as, I've, as I do every week, uh, you see one face, unfortunately. <laughs> For me, I see 150 faces. I see different responses. I see sleepers, right? It's okay. I sleep sometimes during sermons. I've slept through a lot of sermons in my lifetime. I see um, phone checkers, right? I see uh, note passers. I see um, people who don't believe at all that just kind of laugh and are you know, not interested in anything. They're just here because they have to be here or something. I see a whole different variety of responses. But the most beautiful response is the one for whom this is, this is new. The one who knows they're a sinner. The one knows what it feels like to be cut off from God and to have worked really hard to get right with God, only to come up empty. The most beautiful response in the room is the, the one who knows they're a sinner and is cut off from God and knows the penalty for their sin and hears this and says, I need Jesus. I need that gift. I need to be made right with God because my sin is so great. Because the sin that I've indulged in is destroying my life and my relationships and my, everything that I've given myself to, uh, I can't remove on my own. I need Jesus. Listen, this won't be good news for you if you don't see yourself as a sinner in need of forgiveness. For those who have seen themselves as sinners in need of forgiveness, this is a renewal of that good news message. The justification by faith is the greatest news that could ever be given to us when you understand your guilt before God. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you that you didn't have to do anything. You didn't have to come. You didn't have to um, demonstrate mercy. You, didn't, you, you could have left us in our sinful condition and just started over on some other planet or completely um, destroyed all life on this planet and scrapped it and opted for a flip or a rebuild or a rehab or whatever. But instead you chose to redeem this broken sinful people. And you chose to do it not by sending um, an angel or some lesser created being you chose to redeem us by sending your own son, your son whom you love, and you chose to send him to bear the burden of our penalty of death on the cross on himself, giving us the greatest exchange that we never deserved in the first place. Would you help us, Lord Jesus, open our ears, open our eyes, Help us to hear and see this message and to respond in the only appropriate way that being crucified with Christ that we may no longer live for ourselves but that we may live for you, the one who loved us and gave himself for us. May we respond well. In Jesus' name, amen.